0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Leviticus, chapter uh, 5. Leviticus, chapter 5. Let's begin reading with verse 1. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle or the carcass of unclean creeping things. And if it be hidden from him, he also shall uh, be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled withal and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever swear means he takes an oath to do evil, to do something either evil or good. Uh, Whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these, either 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 uh, good, and it shall be when he shall be guilty. In one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering, now notice here it's a trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb or kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. And if it be if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he hath committed, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, unto the Lord, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them unto the priest, who shall offer that which is (coughs) for the sin offering first, and wring off his head from his neck, but shall not divide it asunder. The other offerings like the lamb and the beef or the cattle or whatever it was, would be divided asunder into pieces. Remember we studied that and they'd be uh, set apart and burned on the altar according to the thing God specified. And he shall sprinkle the blood of the sin offering upon the side of the altar and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the manner and the priest shall make atonement for him for a sin which he has sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. Then it goes on to say in verse eleven, if he be not able to bring, not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that has sinned shall bring his offering, the tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering, and he shall put no oil upon it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereon, for it is a sin offering. Remember, the frankincense was for for a sweet savor offering and it was poured on the uh, a sacrifice to be burnt so it would bring up a sweet smelling savor into God. We've already discussed the difference between a burnt offering and a sin offering and the sweet savor offerings were the first three which was the burnt offering and the meat offering and then the peace offering and then the fourth one was the sin offering, and this is the trespass offering, which is sin, but not like the sin offering uh, in the previous chapter. Uh, verse 12, Then shall he bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his hand, handful of it, even a memorial thereof, to burn it on the altar, according to the offerings made by fire unto the Lord. It is a sin offering. Now when it says it is a sin offering, it doesn't mean that it's not the trespass offering because that's the context. But it means uh, sin is a, a trespass is a sin against God, The sin of trespasses. And the priest shall make an atonement for him as touching his sin that he has sinned in one of these, and it shall be forgiven him, and the remnant shall be the priest as a meat offering. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If if a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance, in the whole I want you to notice this. Sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord. Can you imagine sinning in the holy things of the Lord? We'll talk about that when we get to it. <coughs> he shall bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flocks uh, with thy estimation by shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto. He had to pay 20% more. Add the fifth part thereto. And give it unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him with a ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. And if the soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, yet is he guilty, and shall bear his iniquity. In other words, any breaking of the commandments of God, a person is guilty whether he meant to do so or not. We uh, know that no one has kept the commandments perfectly but the Lord. And He has kept them without uh, anything at all lacking. And He shall bring a, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with high estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance, wherein he erred and wished it not, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. (coughs) Now then, we'll try to get some comments on what we read here in the fifth chapter. (coughs) One thing I'd like to touch on before we give you the main thrust of the uh, meaning of the trespass offering is that if you look at verse 1 especially, says, if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, he's sworn to tell the truth or this uh, knowledge of something that is right or wrong, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. In other words, concealing his knowledge of what he knows to be true in a civil case, and he's sworn to... to, uh, be a truthful witness, and he's guilty then of suppressing or hiding the truth, and what he does might clear an innocent person, and what he does not do uh, might, uh, or either way, it might convict a guilty person. So, you know, it's, it's like a person saying, I'm going to be silent regardless of whether this is right or wrong, whether this man is. To be cleared or this man that's guilty is to be punished we use our term nowadays I don't want to be involved don't we isn't that the way we uh, put it but if you uh, if you know of something and you could have saved an innocent man and you don't speak up you're guilty because you haven't spoken up to save this innocent person or if you know this man is guilty of a terrible Thing and you don't speak up, then you are guilty of letting him be uh, set free or just not be accountable for the guilt that he, the crime that he's committed. <coughs> and by the way, there's a lot of lot of us from time to time we don't want to be involved. But that doesn't mean that we are cleared of, uh, from our conscience of what we should do at various times. There are certain times that we should do certain things. Uh, now then, down in verse 4, If a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. In other words, you can swear that you will do something, and whether it be a good thing or a bad thing, if you've given your word that that's what you're going to uh, do, then you're guilty if you fail to do it. Remember that uh, application, I believe you find it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 about taking an oath and vowing a vow to God? Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says in verse 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. In other words, you, you're obligated. For He hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is, is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. In other words, if you make a promise, if you vow a vow, and you don't pay up, you don't do it, well then it's better if you left it alone and not even said a word about it at all. Because you're going to be held accountable. You know, we do a lot of that in churches today. People will vow and they'll say, "I'm I'm going to do this or that. And they don't do it. Remember that uh, Hannah, when she prayed for Samuel, for a son, and she said, Lord, if You will give me this son, well, I will surely dedicate him to You all the days of his life as a Nazarite. And uh, give him to Your service all the days of his life. And God heard her prayer. And then she came back and she did exactly what she vowed that she would do. She paid her vow to God. Now a lot of times we just speak uh, without thinking of the consequences. Well, anyway, so much for those two or three verses. But let's get into the trespass offering here. And uh, chapter 6 and 7 show us the law of the offering. But we won't go there. We'll just stick with what we've read. (coughs) Let's remember the sin offering has to do with the root of sin. It has to do with the very root of it. And the trespass offering has to do with the fruit of sin. The sin offering, we have already studied. There, There are two kinds of trespass offerings. There's a trespass against God and there's trespass against man. The key verse that unlocks this offering in the New Testament is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. Be sure and remember this verse. Because it says there, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that has to do with the trespass offering. Because if you'll notice, John is saying, if we confess our sins, it's not talking about a person coming to Christ and and uh, accepting Him as the Lord and Savior. It's talking about Christians who sin. And it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now in the trespass offering, we have Christ making provision in His death for our failures by the way of receiving our confessions Completely forgiving us and cleansing our sins. Remember it said in 1 John chapter 1, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth continuous action us from all sin. So it's a continuous need in the life of every Christian. Because there's none of us here that can say that we have not sinned. And we get contaminated. In this world, day by day, and we sin and do uh, things that are wrong, think things that are wrong, speak things that are wrong, we have wrong thoughts and wrong words and wrong actions. And when we do, we need to confess to God. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. So we find that that is the provision in the New Testament of what the... Excuse me. What the trespass offering signifies there in the Old Testament—that God has made that provision. Now then, in the burnt offering, Christ is offer, Christ offered Himself without spot to God. By the way, He did that before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, Christ was already offering Himself without spot to God before the foundation of the world. Look in Revelation 13 and verse 8, if you will. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him. And it's talking about those that worship the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life. Now look. Of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's the statement I want you to get. Of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it was already in God's plan and purpose. We have uh, plenty of scriptures to show you. if you want to turn to the book of First Peter, we could give you some. First Peter, one I quote all the time, and I won't quote it tonight. I'll just let you re- read it and look at it. But it says in verse eighteen, "For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, this is one I often refer to, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers." but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now look at verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was in these last times for you, who by him to believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So in verse 20 it says that he was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world. To do what he was, what he did when he was manifested in due time, when Jesus, when Christ was born, and took upon him the form of uh, man, and being found obedient unto death, uh, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul says in Philippians chapter two. So we find that in all these scriptures and many more that we could cite, uh, we find that. He was fulfilling the purpose and plan of God from eternity. That's hard for our little minds to comprehend, isn't it? It is for me. And I don't know about you, but it's a hard thing for us to comprehend that God had it all planned and purposed. And remember in Acts chapter 2, it says uh, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Listen. Listen. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So, what they were carrying on in the death of Christ, by wicked hands, and bringing about Christ's death, God had purposed And Isaiah 53 says, He, that is the Father, He, God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. For by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It says also in Isaiah 53 that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it says in this uh, sacrifice, God was well pleased. He was satisfied. It says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt offer up his soul an offering for sin. All this is Isaiah 53. So, God was not fooled by the crucifixion, the death of His only begotten Son on the cross of Calvary. He was not caught by surprise. God's purpose was being carried out And Jesus Christ knew of it, and He voluntarily and willingly did what the Father had commanded Him to do from all eternity. In John chapter 10, He says, I lay down My life for the sheep. He says, I lay it down of Myself, and I take it up again. I will be resurrected. And He says, for this commandment have I received from My Father. I mean, the plan of salvation is just so mind-boggling, isn't it? That God could carry out a plan. We sing a song at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He brought us safely to God. Jesus is that ladder that reaches from earth to heaven. Remember Jacob's ladder of old? And the angels of God ascending and descending upon it? You read the last verses of the first chapter of John, and Jesus says, don't wonder about what you've seen. But He said, and I'm just paraphrasing, but He said, uh, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man ascending and descending. I mean, the, the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man you'll see that that He is the connection between earth and heaven. I said that wrong the first time. Hereafter you shall see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So, what Jacob's ladder was to him at that time is only a picture of what Jesus is to us today and has been since He has come. Well, anyway, let's go on with this trespass offering. We said in the burnt offering, Christ offered Himself without spot to God before the foundation of the world. In the meat offering, we have Christ, the virgin-born Son of God, living a sinless life. That second chapter was a meat offering. No bloodshed. It was a meat offering. Or some have called it a meal offering. And uh, in it we see we have Christ uh, living a sinless life. Remember, everything was without no leaven, unleavened bread, and the meal was grinded fine, and everything was perfect. It had no lumps or no ruffles or no rough places. It was perfectly under control, and that was the life of Jesus. He was always under perfect control in every situation. Wouldn't it be good if you and I could think of that being under control? But Jesus was that way. There was nothing rough or coarse about his life. And that was the, the meat offering or the meal offering. And then we find in the peace offering we have Christ making peace through the through the blood of his cross. In the previous chapter we had the peace offering. In Colossians 1.20 says, "And having listen, and having made peace through the blood of His cross," and it goes on to tell other things. And in the sin offering, that's what we just studied in the, in the last chapter. In the sin offering, we find that Christ actually took our sins upon Himself, became sin for us. The Bible says. Uh, that Christ became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now then, the trespass offering was for the sins of ignorance, by the way. And ignorance is no excuse in the law. Legally, that's true with the law of the land, isn't it? And how much more is it true with God? Someone says, I didn't know. You want me to show you how much you know about sin? Someone says, I didn't know that was a sin. Let me turn you to the book of Romans. I'll go chasing a few rabbits here now. Look in Romans chapter 2, if you will. Verse 14 and 15. This shows you that you know about it. For when the Gentiles, and by the way, most of us here are Gentiles. I don't see any Jews here. Unless you are, and I don't know it. But that, I'm no, there's no disgrace to be one, certainly. Because Jesus said to the Jew first and also to the Greek, or Gentiles. Now look, For when the Gentiles which have not the law We don't have the law. The law was given to Israel. The law was given to the Jews. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Even if you don't have it. Look at verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Where is it? Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. See, you know better. Someone says, I didn't know better. That old deal, ignorance of the law. I didn't know about it. You know about it. Because God wrote it on your heart. Things that are right and things that are wrong. When you grew up as a little child, didn't you know when you did something wrong? Sure you did. came along a teenager and you still knew it. You grew older and you still know it. And if you're old as I am, you sure know it. Because you've learned a lot of things in life. And don't ever try to excuse yourself of doing wrong because God knows all and He sees the very heart show the work of the law written in their hearts. And God put that law in your heart. He didn't write Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But He wrote a law there that that convicts you. And Paul said at one place, My conscience also bearing me witness with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is an additional witness to that conscience inside of you. And so God... Uh, has given every warning. Uh, you say, well, you know, we're talking about the Gentiles, which in the Bible many times refers to heathen. And you read in Romans chapter 1 that it tells that they're without excuse. It says, For the, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen by the things which He hath made. In other words, the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the water and the grass the earth are clearly seen. Even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, God has given a voice, of even His creation is a voice to man. You read in Psalm 19, where it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork." Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And it says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's no language. There's no place where their voice is not heard. If you're upon this earth, God has already given a witness with all of His creation. It says, Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the Son, which is a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from end of heaven, and His circuit into the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. It goes on to say, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are pure, rejoicing the heart, Are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desire, desired are they than gold. More to be desired than what? Gold. We have these people today telling you, you know, to make your investments in gold and you'll be sure and be all right. Gold is good, not putting it down. But it says these things of God are more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them as thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there's great reward. The law of the Lord, God's word Testimonies, statutes, it's all speaking of God's Word. And so we find that uh, we're to realize that uh, God's law is going to stand, whether we know about it or not, and that we're all responsible. God in His grace can forgive sins, but God cannot and will not pass over sins. God will forgive sins, but God will not just pass by them. Sin has to be reckoned with, whether it's in your life or mine. It was reckoned with as far as provision on the cross. The penalty of sin was paid once and for all, for all who accept Christ. And then the trespass offering here signifies that there's a need for our failures and our shortcomings. There's a need for that to be dealt with. And God has made a provision that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a wonderful provision that He's made for, for His children. John says, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. This is 1 John chapter 2. But He says, But if any man sin," We have an Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, John says, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, <clears throat> a holy God must deal with sin and the sinner must accept the sacrifice that God has offered for sin or else the penalty must be executed and thank God He's provided for us that we can accept the offering or the sacrifice of Christ, and then the penalty has already been executed upon Him, and there's provision. And in the case of the believer, confession and self-judgment self must be made, or else for the believer, the chastening hand of the Father must be laid upon his child. Someone says, well, why, how is it that if I don't confess my sins and receive forgiveness of them, why is it, what is, what's God going to do about it? He's going to chasten you betimes. He's going to correct you one way or another. Sin has to be reckoned with. And if you confess it and judge your own sins, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Paul says in the Corinthians. So we judge ourselves. How do we judge ourselves? We say we sin. We confess our sins. And therefore we're it's self judgment. And when we do that, we're not going to be condemned because God will forgive us. And if we do not confess our sins, you know, take take a child of God and says, Well, you know, God has forgiven me, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven and you start wandering away and doing things you know better than to do, and the first thing you know, things begin to go wrong and start Things start to happen and and you say, well, you know, something's wrong with my life. And uh, you recognize that things are not all well like they used to be. And God not only chastens you mentally and spiritually, but He chastens you sometimes physically, materially, and otherwise. And He has a way of doing that. Old Job of old said, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. And then He goes on to show how that God speaks to us inwardly and then how He speaks to us uh, other ways. And God will get your attention sooner or later. He has a way of getting our attention. So don't ever think you're going to get by with just living a haphazard, unconcerned, indifferent life toward the Lord. By the way, you're not going to live that way toward the house of God. You're not going to live haphazard and indifferent toward the things of God. You're not going to live that way as far as your your giving is concerned. You're not going to live that way because God is going to take care of it. You say, well, preacher, I haven't given my tithes in, in a long time. Well, friend... God's, going, God's collecting them right now. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the tithe is the Lord's. If it belongs to Him, He's going to get it. You know? And you say, well, how's He going to do that? Well, He has various ways. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, the Bible says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse... And He says that there may be meat in my house. He said, and see if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you not have room enough to receive it. And He will pour you out a blessing. And that's His promise. And He'll do exactly that. But if you say, well, there's nothing wrong with me not giving my tithes and offerings... They were going to offer the Lord in, in that book of Malachi. They, you know, they said, okay, we'll give our tithe. Say, here's a tenth of the herd of the flock. We'll give this. We have ten, ten uh, animals here. And we'll give one of them. But let's pick this one that's lame over here. And he's going to die anyway. Pick this one that's got blemishes on it. And God, that's what God said that they had robbed him and did. Let me turn. Malachi and read that for you. You may not be reminded of that, but turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 3, and I want you to see. He says in verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because they're not consumed is because God is long-suffering. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation." Uh, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of Hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I wanted to get down to where it's talking about the. Kind of offering that was earlier that they brought. The kind of offering they brought. Does anyone see it of the lame? Uh, what verse? It's in chapter one, and I don't know where it starts, but in thirteen. It talks about bringing the lame. One thirteen. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, that's. That's part of it, yeah. It says, let's read verse 12, but you have, in verse chapter 1, but you have profaned it, in that you say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, behold, what a weariness it is, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought, now look, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? And then he goes on to say, But you are cursed. Uh, but cursed be the deceiver which hath brought, which hath in his flock a male and voweth sacrifice sacrificing the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. There are more verses than that, but that's at least one thought to show that they had brought the sick and the lame, and they wanted God to accept it. It's like you and I say, well, you know, if I've got any leftovers, I'll give them to God. I'll I'll give him what's left. God didn't say what's left. The Bible says, "Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase; so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses burst out with new wine." And God will honor His word and do that for us. But anyway, let's get back to this. Uh, Doing the best we can or doing the best we know how to do is not necessarily... uh, It doesn't mean that we have no sin. We do the best we can. But there's underlying sin... We're talking about sins of ignorance. God alone can judge in these matters and God's standard is the one by which we're to be measured. God will measure whether or not we know what is right and wrong and whether we do what is right and wrong. God's standard is perfect and because His standard is perfect, He must deal in grace for we are imperfect. We're imperfect and therefore He deals in grace. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. So He's perfect. And in whatever way this consciousness of sin comes to us, to a believer, it brings also the consciousness of defilement And the shutting out of close and instant communion with God, it shuts that out from us. And this defilement of sin must be removed and fellowship restored. And we remove it only by confession and dependence upon the Lord to forgive it because the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, forgiveth or cleanseth us from all sin. The provision for this cleansing is set forth in this trespass offering. The manner of it, chapter 5, verse 5. Look at verse 5. And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Even in Leviticus, in the context of what we're studying, it tells that he must confess in that thing. And then he's to bring that offering. In verse 6, he shall bring his trespass offering. So, the manner of cleansing is uh, spelled out. The provision for it is made. Confession is necessary. And this tells us that the sacrifice of Christ is available for all the sins and trespasses of the believer. That it's available for all of us and whatever they may be. We need to learn some lessons. Let me give you an outline of some lessons in this trespass offering that the Christian can and does sin, first of all. He can sin and he does sin. The Christian sins because of the old nature that's still in him. We don't want to. Paul says, the things that I would do, uh, not do, I do anyway. He's talking about the nature of sin. And the Bible tells us that... uh, We fulfill the sins of the flesh when we do not walk after the Spirit. And these two are contrary to one one and the other. And when the Christian sins, it does not affect his regeneration. It's not going to change the fact that you've been born again. But it is going to change your fellowship. The old nature that's in the believer is at enmity with God. And is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Romans 8, verse 7. The old nature is not subject to the law of God. It doesn't put itself in subjection to the law of God. It certainly needs to be. The new nature that a man receives when he is saved is holy. You have two different individuals within you. You have the old man, the old nature, and you have the new nature. The divine nature. And this new nature is holy, and, and it cannot sin. The holy nature in you cannot sin. But the old nature does sin. And so you're really a person that has two natures. And you have to recognize both. And therefore, when you recognize that old nature's there, the Bible says we're to mortify the deeds of the body. In other words, put them to death. We're to crucify the old man. And that's what the Christian life the new life is all about. The new nature that a man receives is of God, and he's born again, born anew. And thus, the Christian has two persons, but he, he himself is not two persons. We're not two persons. He can sin or reject sin. You have you have that privilege of rejecting it or submitting to it. You say, "Well, sometimes the temptations are too great." That's true. He can live in the region of the flesh or he can live in the realm of the Spirit. And that's a real battle in everyone's life as a Christian. That's the battle that goes on and it will continue until the day we're taken out of this world and out of this life. So therefore, if we're going to live this life, we have to win the victory and win the battle. And if the Christian who stumbles and sins and loses communion and fellowship with God would be restored, if you're to be restored when you fail and when you sin and you stumble and you lose fellowship with God, that if you would be restored, he must confess his sins unto God and confess them as sins against God. Remember, David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Psalm, look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy kindness, according to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now look, he says, Wash me throughly uh, from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. He was not going to forget it. And he says in verse 4, "...against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest." He says, I've sinned against God. Well, does that mean he did not sin against man? Certainly. The prayer he was praying was for his sin that uh, that he had committed against man. In fact, this is a prayer after his experience with Bathsheba and his sin of adultery, and this was his confession. And but he said, "Against thee and thee only have I sinned. He not only sinned against Bathsheba, but he, but he sinned against her husband and and the, his own uh, army that they were put in the forefront of the battle, and he had uh, many of them uh, were killed because of his. Uh, his sin. You know how it started out? It says, at the time that the kings went forth to battle, David tarried still at Jerusalem. And he became restless. He tossed upon his bed. You find it in Second Samuel chapter 11. And he couldn't, he was restless. The Bible says, as the door turneth on his hinges, so do the slothful turn up on his bed. And he began to walk on the roof of the king's house. And he looked out and he saw a woman. And he lusted after her. By the way, she's not excused either. She knew he was going to be looking. And he knew she was going to be there. And he lusted after her. And he sent and he took her. And the Bible tells of all the terrible things that happened. And his baby that was conceived of her